Welcome to Audible Brutality. Two grouchy musicians humorously complaining about the state of music today. Featuring Adam Percy and Tim Vandevan. Take it away, Adam and Tim. How's it going, Tim? It's going pretty well. I mean, uh, you know, we're all shut in, so we get to spend some time with our families and stuff. So good times. Good times. Well, or doing our, our most favorite things, which is locking ourselves in our little studios and making noise. Well, that's not a bad thing either. I, 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 I rather enjoy that. Yes. And going it's, through projects. It's nice when you're forced Oh, it is. Yeah, well, not not so much forced. It's to me it's like what what I love is that I, I'm like, okay, so I could watch the next 400 episodes of MASH, which I've seen 48 times each anyways, or I could uh I could maybe go downstairs and root through some hard drives and see if there's any gold in them thar drives, you know? And uh Hawkeye Vandevan. There you go. There you go. You easy there, honeycut. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I could have called you Frank Burns. That would have been the worst, right? So, oh, that yeah, would be mean. That would be mean, and I'm not a mean ba- man by by nature. I'm not mean. So. No, no, you're absolutely not, dude. No, I'm a, I'm a terrible person, but I'm not mean. So, but <laughs> so one of the things that I really enjoyed doing was dr- digging through, uh, as Peter Gabriel says, digging through the dirt, and I found a bunch of really cool old tunes that you and I did back in the good old MySpace days. Yeah. And I think the way that we had to to share files back then, because Dropbox was a few years off and MP3s were garbage when you, you'd make an MP3 and you'd send it through Hotmail or whatever. And half the time, be, <laughs> this file is too big. And you'd have to, so you'd have to be like, I don't know, like 32K, you know, it'd have to be something small and shitty. Right. I remember, I think you were still had your, your internet company with Gareth and you had uh, an FTP server back then. And yeah, I think, actually in my living room. Yeah. And you yeah. used to, you used to give me access to that. So that was like the only way we could file transfer back in the day. And you'd say, okay, I got this song and here it is. And here's the info on it. And what can you add to it? And, uh, you know, and it, so I'd be like, okay, and you'd be like, go to this address, and it would still take forever to download, but I would get like a, a full-on waveform, forty-four-one, twenty-four-bit stereo wave, or even better, sometimes you would send me the left side and the right side as two individual tracks, which is fun, and I'd be able to send stuff back and forth to you. And I remember us, you know, diligently working at this to try to get, uh, you know, try to try to get some gold up there on MySpace and see if anybody cared about what we did. What you're saying, Tim, is that we're, we we were trailblazers. Oh, for sure, for sure. We were the we were the file sharing before file sharing. Oh. That's how old we are. Well, that's it. <laughs> I, and I think when we were doing this, when when did when did you move out to BC? Was that 2004 or five? What was that? Actually, it was uh, 2007, beginning of 2007. Okay, so some of this was <clears throat> some of this was happening while you. Yeah, that's right. Some of this was still happening while you were in Toronto. That's right. Yeah. So. Even yeah. and I was in Montreal at the time, so even then, 
you know, aside from me mailing you a, a CD or mailing you a mini disc or something, there was no way that, you know, like we're and back then getting a hard drive. There's no way you'd spend 500 bucks on a hard drive and put it in the mail. No way. That's not happening. <laughs> not happening. Well, yeah. So you're talking about the files that we found for our, our theme music. I think so. Yes, I am. I am talking about those. There's some, there's some that was, fun stuff. We were, what was that movie we were watching from the seventies that we kind of got inspired? Was it, it was Zardoz. It was Zardoz. Yeah. Sean Connery. And and you were imagining a sequel because I think there was a, there was a, an album I had just bought that I had found in Ottawa a few years earlier right. that was an imagined sequel to Logan's Run. That's that that was it. It was we were I think we were watching Zardoz and Logan's Run, and the soundtracks were just so awesome. Mm-hmm. But we and we imagined I, a follow up uh, a follow up uh, album like as if there was a second part to the movie and what would that soundtrack sound like? Yeah, yeah. A mo- uh, yeah, almost like a, a a modern day version of the alternate universe timeline of Logan's Run. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That was fun. And actually, you know, when you dug those up, I don't actually think I'd listened to those almost since we recorded them. Man, it's we're looking at easily at like 12 years at this point easily uh, yeah. <laughs> since I've listened to those. And you know, I have to say, wow, dude, we were sharp back then. What happened? Well, <laughs> I, I, I will tell you that I did do some work on my end because there was some stuff that I was listening to on my end where I said, Oh my, like what happened there? <laughs> why is that still yeah. in there? Why, why, well, why did I leave that in there? And it was, you yeah. know, before before a lot of stuff I knew about mixing and and things. So, you know, so I went back and, you know, uh, as a as a friend of mine says, I you know I polished up that turd. But I also i I ended up um, doing a lot of work on the stuff that I had done to to work with the great stuff that you had given me. So, and uh, I think that I, I'm pretty happy with how things turned out. Um, there was uh, there was yeah. some pleasant surprises in there. You know? Overall, well, those those files that you sent me that yeah that we worked on and that was again we were working on those remotely. I think yes. for the most part we were working I was remotely. In BC and you were tracking your drums in in uh, your your little studio in Montreal, and I was I, oh where was I? I was in Nanaimo, I think, at the time. And yeah, you were just sending me files, and it was like oh yeah, that fits. That's great, and layering it with the drum drum machine sounds that I had going on. Yeah, it was oh dude, well that was like that was so much fun. It was um, so much so much fun to find all that stuff. It was uh a hard drive. You and I both had the same sized hard drive that we had gotten from a project we had worked on back in 2006 and when you were when you stayed with me for I think a couple of months. That's right when we were recording Toby Goodshank. Toby Goodshank and, and Toby Goodshank. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And we had these uh, Lassie hard drives with the sexy Porsche exteriors that were Firewire. Blah 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 blah. And I, you know, I hadn't fired mine up in years, right? So I'm like, okay, let's see what happens here. And so I plug it in, turn it on. Nothing. I hear, I hear the disc <laughs> turning, but I don't see anything appearing on my screen. And I'm like, oh no. I don't know what's on there. I hope it's not blown up. <laughs> so I went on the good old internets and found a way to open up that, that hard drive because my 
you know, I know, I know what, I know how to repair computers now. <laughs> Good thing I didn't have to do this in 2006. I probably would have destroyed it. But so I crack it open and I have this little device that allows me to plug into the hard drive and power up the hard drive and then send a USB signal to my uh, computer. It's, uh, it's made by a company called Blue Diamond. And I can't remember what these things are called, but it's, you can put SATAs in there. You can put um, IDE discs. You can put, uh, yeah, SATA or IDE pretty much. And you can power it either way. So what was cool was that I plugged this. So I pulled a disc out of the C box and I, it's probably just the firewire portion of it that's fried. So I plugged the disc itself into this device. Everything came up and I was, and I was so happy. Yeah. So that's MacGyver where these, Tim. Th- that's it. Well, you get my There you go. I mean, it's not pretty, but it works. So, the, and then all well, of a, all of a sudden, all of these songs are there, and I'm like, whoa! So this now that I got this working, I think I'm going to play with these. <laughs> well, that's that's an interesting segue, Tim, because we could actually lead right into the topic we were thinking of talking about today, uh, which is tentatively titled. Dollar Store and Duct Tape Studio Trickery, aka how to tape tape how to tape your 421 to a stand. <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly. Well, uh, if you want to ask me some questions about this cool little device, I found it for like 36 bucks. So you can probably find them cheaper. You probably find them more expensive, but. So what's this thing again? This is the thing that basically you crack open your hard drive and it and it sends drive data like a usb mm-hmm. essentially when you open you open up your hard drive case and inside your hard drive case is a, is a physical hard drive duh right right yeah yeah i can hear all the computer guys out there going well duh, what do you think it's not a magic pony inside but so <laughs> it's not leprechauns so that's it so i crack it open and i unplug the there's a cut there's a ribbon cable that was plugged in because it's an it's an older drive so it's ide it's not it's not sata and I know someone's probably going to say, no, it's pronounced SATA. Well, whatever. SATA, SATA, potato, potato. So this device, it, it let you connect to an IDE drive after you cracked it open. And it basically treats that drive almost like a USB key. Pretty much. So what you've got is you've got what? the drive. You've got the physical drive itself. You plug this little device into the IDE port. So there's a little power cable that goes from my the Blue Diamond device to my hard drive. Then there's a USB that runs to my Mac, and then I have another physical power, little like wall wart power pack to power the blue diamond that's plugged into the hard drive. I could probably put it, we could probably put a picture up somewhere. What's this, what's this thing called? That's what I, I can't remember because I chucked the box as soon as I got it, because I got it for things that I was doing during my day job. Uh, I, you know, cause we would have these drives. It's like, can you tell if the drive's any good anymore? I'm like, how am I supposed like what? Uh, I'm going to use osmosis or like magic and <laughs> figure that out. And one of my experts said, no, go buy a device that looks like this. And so I went to, and I, you've come to this store before with me, not at, not in St. Jerome, but in Montreal, the store called Addison, which is like an electronic surplus. Store. Oh yeah. I love Addison. That place is so amazing. We should get them as a sponsor. That would be great. I mean, I, I would talk about that. them all day, every day. <laughs> so how big is it? Is it like, you know, bigger than a baby's arm or is it like something that fits in your pocket? It's smaller than a hard drive. Unless you, unless you're That's using laptop awesome. hard drives, of course, or if, unless you're using solid states. Sweet. And that was, that was $30. 30 bucks. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a pretty neat little thing. So this is what saved um, our bacon, so to speak, that I could actually get my hands on our old projects. Like a dope, I didn't back them up to my one terabyte drive. Right. I I, I cracked that thing on the other day and I looked at it and I'm like, I'm barely using like 100 gigs. Like, what's wrong with me? You know, that would have that would have been handy in my great hard drive studio meltdown of 2016. <laughs> That was awful. And, you know, I've always been one of those guys who's like, command, save, command, save, command, save, finish a session, back it up to another drive, do a local copy just in case. And I just hadn't done it in a while. And that was the time that my hard drive decided to take a massive shit and fold into a million pieces. Was it actually <laughs> it was the hard awful. The hard drive actually died or were you just unable to connect to it anymore? It it died. It full and fortunately I didn't have all of my projects on there. And I did have a fair amount of backup. I just hadn't backed up within a few days. So I lost a few days worth of work and I had to do a awful lot of backtracking on my other storage and I spent oh, I don't know, like well probably hundreds of dollars trying to restore that drive to no avail. So that any any little sort of studio trickery just related to drive backups is yeah, that's probably good. I wish I kind of had that. I would have been able to I might have been able to figure something out with that. Sometimes too if you want to just save some money. I mean, you don't need the sexy case, right? Cuz the cases are basically inside each case is a physical hard drive and all it does is it there's a there's usually a printed circuit board in there and then ports whether it's uh, firewire or usb and it can be both i've got a drive that's got both and it's just and power that's all it is so if you yeah. if you yeah. want to save some dough go buy a bunch of hard drives just on their own buy this little device and you can you know you don't need the the sexy case you can just it's easier storage i guess <laughs> if you want i mean the, the i have to admit the porsche case looks kind of cool uh, it is pretty slick, but I think the uh, I think my FireWire is toast in it, so it's you know it's it's a box holding nothing right now. So I was gonna say, you'd want to figure something out for storing those after you have them sort of full up, like maybe hold on to the the packaging that it came with or something, right? Well, I would, yeah, something like that, you know, like probably the anti-static bag that the the disc came in. So yeah. Just so, you know, that it doesn't slip between the couch cushions while you're watching, you know, Tiger King or something and then you <laughs> sit down on it and <laughs> completely destroy your entire session with your ass. There you go. There you go. I don't know why I came up with that metaphor. That's all right. Tiger <laughs> King is fine, man. Tiger King. Is oh, perfect. man. Have you been watching that? I, I've, I've gone through a bunch of it already, you know, so. Oh, OK, so I'm, I'm guessing that everyone sort of feels the same way. I actually can't believe those people are real. Yeah. It's just like, are you are you for real? I'm still waiting uh, sort of for at the end. Uh, this is all fiction. It's I, I'm waiting for it to turn into like the trailer park boys where people thought they were like real. They're right. Real. They're or, obviously or something like best in show or something some weird demented version of best in show christopher guest will come out and be like it's me <laughs> I, I faked it all <laughs> like that's it that's it oh. you know like i like i said i was thinking it was going to be uh you know eventually like the trailer park boys where someone's like no 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 his real name is not julian you know that's <laughs> his real name is not ricky you know uh, <laughs> yeah 
No, I don't think so. Um, so cool. What, else, well, what, we what be- do you got? So that was my little co- contribution to like forty bucks to if you if you if your backup drive decides to stop communicating with your your device. Well, I was sort of thinking more along the lines of um, something that I learned recently, and you know, I'm sure a lot of guys will be like, "Duh, dude!" Like we've been doing this for years, but. One of the things that I've been employing a lot, because I'm not a very strong bass player, that's for sure. Um, I'm a mediocre guitar player. I'm a keyboard player at heart. But I really love that sort of classic soundtrack bass, you know, like from French and Italian films, that sort of plucky. I love that sound. I cannot play it. And... I mean, I do know a few bass players who are quite capable of doing that, but they're all in different places, like our friend John. So sometimes I just want to kind of come up with that sound on my own, and actually this is a John Greenberg tip. This is uh, a friend of Tim and mine, and John is like one of those people who just has been poured musical gifts all over his body. He glistens with them. He's so talented. And uh, one of the things he showed me that uh, I think to this day has kind of saved my bacon in trying to find that sound is just getting a dollar store sponge and putting it back at the base under the strings at the back at the at the bridge. And if it's just lightly touching the strings, you can get that nice, plucky, classic bass sound and. I don't even have a very good bass and I'm actually really quite happy with the sound that comes out with it. I have this like weird ass Samick bass that I think some metal guy bought and it's like a jazz bass, but then he converted it to metal bass. So it's got weird pickups in it anyway. And it's such a strange instrument to begin with. It's like a, it's like a bass with a personality complex and it's the one thing I've been able to do with this bass to actually make it sound nice <laughs> for lack of a better word i just i just did some sessions with johnny cool and the bass player Al, alec mckelkern he used that he employed that technique on all of these tracks as well like where he put in a, a little piece of foam underneath uh just by the bridge just to make yeah. like you said to make everything just a little boom, 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 boom. you gotta fiddle with it a bit it has to it can't be pressing too hard but of course it, it needs to be suspended under the strings so the strings are holding it in place and uh and i know like guys like john they can actually just mute with their palm because uh, he's been playing bass for a gazillion years as an and as a genius but this is true this he is a genius this is a really nice workaround if you need that kind of sound in a pinch and i've been actually kind of employing that a lot um and again this is probably something that a bunch of name producers would be like oh man come on that's old school um come on. another thing that i actually <laughs> Uh, another quick thing that I, I, and you were there when this happened. This was when we were recording Acid Test in Toronto um, at Vic's studio okay. uh, in North York. And uh, it was uh, when they stuck the pencil. They they literally took elastic bands and wrapped it around the base of the vocal mic. And the pencil was sitting right smack in the middle of the microphone field. Mm-hmm. So the pencil is attached to the mic. And what that actually kind of does is if you have a, a spit guard over in front of uh, behind that between the singer and the mic is it just sort of disperses the wind a little bit. So you lose a lot of the sibilance. And I was like, wow, that is the cheapest fix for 
microphone pop I think I've ever ever seen. It get, yeah, it gets rid of <laughs> it get, gets rid of all of the plosives as people call them. The uh, the, 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 yeah, the the S's and the P's. The P's. So like, this is, I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to demonstrate what Adam just said. So it's like plosive. You just heard everything blow up there. Now I said yeah. plosive, plosive, plosive. It's, there's, it's still a bit there. Plosive, plosive. Yeah. Oh, there we go. I'm, I'm actually using a screwdriver in this case. Not, not, yeah. a, not a vodka orange, but an actual screwdriver, but. It's so, so weird. I mean, it, it it is very, it's a very simple solution. And, I, you know, you and I both have been in studios for decades and I've never seen anybody do that before. And I was like, does that really work? And he's like, well, listen back. And I'm like, yeah, it actually, it, it, it actually kind of works. It probably wouldn't work if you were like, you know, swallowing the microphone, but, but you know, to, to go back to what we subtitled this category as, the 421 is perfect for that because it has a band in the middle of its uh, pickup pattern. There you go. And that was one of the things I know that I've worked with Johnny Cool and he was saying that, you know, I do a lot of plosives and people are talking about this and I should do that and blah, blah, and blah, blah. I'm like, save your money and buy a 421, you know? If you have a 421, it's got that little Sennheiser band right in the middle where maybe that's why it's there. So you don't have to put a screen or a pencil in front of it and it gets rid of those yeah. plosives. So Well, and if you've if you if you're on the dollar store studio budget and you can't swing the 421, get a pencil. Get a pencil. If you're doing <laughs> if you're doing it at home, yes. I was talking more for live in the case of Johnny. Yeah. Have his own mic cuz first of all, you know, you don't want to go out there and smell somebody else's mouth in in the uh, yes. in the microphone because I remember back in the, <laughs> the glory days of NSJ when we would play somewhere it was always like, okay, so I got a really good mic that goes to the singer and the mic that's been shoved up a dog's ass and dragged behind the streetcar for six blocks. Uh, that's for the drummer. He gets to sing into that, you know? So, you know, so I, that, and that's when Gareth had, at the time said, buy yourself a mic. And I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. Gareth was doing that a lot too. Yeah. yeah I ended up buying a, basically, I don't think he, hmm? I don't think he, he, I don't think we played a show where he didn't bring his own microphone. I yeah. recall him. I learned very quickly using... after getting one at Clinton's that smelled like, you know, that smelled like somebody puked a bunch of McDonald's on it and then, you know, <laughs> left it in the garbage for three days, you know? Mm. Yeah. And then a fried egg on top. So, <laughs> so yes, the hot garbage oh. mic. So there you go. So, but sweet. Well, I think those are some pretty good dollar store tips, but I would say if there are any of our listeners who maybe have their own crazy suggestions for studio trickery and let's make the budget $30 and under $30 and under fixes in the studio that make recording and making music better. Submit it to us. We'd love to hear what they are. And in fact, you know, maybe we'll revisit this in, uh, in the future and, and put your name on whatever you send to us so that you can hear your name on the internet. (laughs) <laughs> yeah exactly is it time for we, some is it time for some um what was i gonna ask you here is it time for a little eno you e- know what i mean oblique strategy 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 all right so th- what's this the first one this is the randomly chosen oh make it more sensual that's a good one make it more one. Sensual. Give you one more. 
what to increase, what to reduce. <laughs> More more well definitely i need to reduce my the amount of times i say like actually yeah you know kinda it's okay dude uh, you're like a surfer bro <laughs> for and those that, of you that, that and, don't know and that was me pulling out the card from oblique strategies to emphasize the differences yes well for those of you that don't know tim and i actually record this podcast in our own in different rooms i'm actually on the west coast and tim's on the east coast and um uh we record ourselves so we're actually recording ourselves completely separately and then we send the files to each other and we slap something together and boom not even not even in the same province not even in the same province and definitely one of the things that also needs to be reduced is the amount of times I step on Tim's toes in conversation. So I will pay more attention to that. How about for fuck's sakes, why don't you send us your stuff? Yes, <laughs> please send us your stuff. Bring up your dead songs. This is a section that, yeah, we're calling for fuck's sakes. Send us your stuff. And this is where we'd like to encourage you to send us anything that you're working on musically. Uh, If you've dug up, as the beginning of our podcast sort of outlined, if you've dug up any dead songs from the past, we'd actually love to hear those. Uh, If you're rummaging through your hard drive, or maybe you're even, you know, go even farther than back and you've broken out some uh, reel-to-reel and you've digitized that shit, and you're like, oh, this is actually way better than I remember when I recorded it in the 70s when I was high on acid. Um, <laughs> <laughs> then send it to us. We actually really want to, you know, in keeping with the theme of today of bringing out your dead songs, bring us your dead songs. We want to hear those. And with that, producer's tips. Producer's tips. You want to do what now? <laughs> <laughs> You, we had we had this thing last episode where we were uh, doing advice to guitar players corner, and we sort of thought, well, you know, we should maybe stretch this out a bit and and extend it across the whole, extend it to producers who have to deal with guitar players, bass players, uh, zither players, who knows, banjo players. Learn the song. We deal with all sorts. Learn the song. You have to learn the song. Learn the song. I know sometimes you get called in and a chart's dropped in front of you. And, you know, if you're a decent sight reader, you can get away with that. But I I don't know how many times I've been in a studio where somebody's just completely lost. Um, I was talking to my friend Paul Casey today and we were commiserating over some, you know, some projects and things and stuff. And, you know, spending time like spending time in the studio, you decide you're going to go to a studio, whether it's a home studio like mine or Adams or whether it's you're going to drop the money like pardon me, like some of the sexier studios in Vancouver or Toronto or Montreal or whatever. Learn your damn song, man. Don't go in there not knowing what to do. It's funny. You would think that would be something that is really obvious, but I I kind of agree with you, man. I've been in a few sessions where you're just sort of like, you're spending money right now. There Mm -hmm. are literally dollar bills flying out of your pocket. I can see them drifting away like butterflies. And you have, you're just sort of like, oh, I don't know. Well, can you edit something out of this? 
And it's like, you're like, well, I could do do so, but I don't know if it'll be any good. It really kind of comes down to you. <laughs> and it, and if it is any good, like what what could you know? So you you fart around in the studio for an hour, you can't get it right, but you know whatever, good enough. And then you're sending your producer, engineer, whatever, to go back and snip your performance into a million edits. And I'm not even talking about edits where they're like, we've done five versions of the same song. I'm not sure which one I like best. I love this drum roll here. I think this bass fill over here is amazing. This this piano part right there, I got to put in one of the final version. And, you know, this guitar lick right here has to be in the final. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about no. guys that go to the studio and they're like, bling, 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 bling. Okay, so you can make a song out of that, right? And it's like, well, wait a second. No. <laughs> no. Well, I could, but, you know, why would I spend, you spent all of 10 minutes pumping that out. Why would I spend the next six and a half days trying to edit that into something that doesn't suck? Going to sort of a, a more positive area of this, in terms of like a recording experience I had was uh, with a band out of Vancouver called Sex with Strangers. Mm-hmm. And they were pretty, they had this really robust singer named Mark. He was just like, he, ah, he was so good. Anyway, I do distinctly remember them going, oh, well, you know, we've booked five days at Fader Mountain. And I'm like, oh, five days for like a five piece band. That's kind of tight for tracking. We weren't Mm. even talking about mixing. I was going to take the mixing back to my own studio. And I came out to Vancouver the week before and I went to their practices and they're like, We've actually recorded everything already on GarageBand, and we have a pretty good idea of how we want it to sound, and we've been practicing for the last three months, pretty much like three to four days a week. And no word of a lie, all of the drums on on an 11-track album were done in a day. (laughs) About a day and a half. And it just, boom, flew by. Bang, bang, bang. They knew exactly what they wanted. Obviously, we didn't use any of the GarageBand tracks, but... I had a really good idea of what they were going for simply because they just handed me the GarageBand files. Mm -hmm. We almost altered nothing in terms of the arrangement. They knew exactly what they were doing. They knew the cues. They were bang on. The hardest thing we had to do in the studio was to try and figure out how to do a double bass drum. And it was more like the drummer just hadn't done double kicks, 16th Mm. note kicks in a really long time. And uh, it was for this kind of one wacky song that they wanted to have fun with. And that was the hardest part. Um, It was so easy. And a lot of it was simply they knew their songs and they knew them inside and out. And the last day we were looking for things to do. <laughs> it well, was that's, like, that's oh, this we can do the fun things like break at the maracas or, you know, ooh, a vocoder. Let's play with that. Or, you know, like we had a whole day where we could actually kind of just take their ideas and then supplement them with all these extra things. It was awesome. So, yeah, actually knowing your songs can help you make better recordings. Be a Boy Scout. You should be be prepared with Paul and I when we to, to do the Beg to Differ thing. We did all the drums first. And then between Paul and I, we realized, it was funny, Paul and I were in a band with the aforementioned John Greenberg and the aforementioned Gareth Carr uh, back in Ottawa in 91. And when we started writing together, we realized that whatever instrument the other guy didn't know, the other guy knew. So Paul was a guitar, was a bass player, but he could play guitar and and he can be a lead vocalist and a backing vocalist. And I play drums, obviously, but I can also play piano because I was I took piano as a child. <clears throat> when Paul and I realized that, that essentially every instrument 
that we wanted to use on the record was covered between the two of us. It was just like, okay, so now we got to find a way to construct this to make it sound like it's not just two of us overdubbing. And, you know, of course, you're going to do a couple of guitar overdubs to give some sonic space and whatever and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, so we do all the drum tracks first for most of the songs. A couple of them, we did the keyboards first using Cubase to correct mistakes and save time. And so a couple of them we did because the, the, we couldn't get the feel of the song. So we did the because they were keyboard heavy songs. So we did the keyboards first and then and then I went back and tracked drums to my keyboards and then Paul overdubbed everything else. So again, but again, it's about being prepared. I mean, when I did the project for Old Savannah, um, they brought in some GarageBand files. And yeah, I remember that. Those sounded great, actually. And you did a bang up job mixing those, man. Well, thanks, man. One of, one of the things that I liked is that they had good sounds already on the GarageBand stuff. And mm-hmm. I said, you know, let mm-hmm. me just let me just bust this out. Let's just take what you've done in GarageBand, the, the bare bones, the, the banjo, the acoustic and, you know, some of the vocals and pull those out. And they had some they had a few songs with some pots and pans in that they'd done some overdubbing with, which I thought sounded pretty good. Again, bust this out. And then run it through some some nice compression just to bump it up a bit, give it a bit of EQ, and then start tracking the rest of the stuff that's missing. So we tracked the accordion, we tracked uh, we tracked some of the drums, obviously, we tracked uh, some bass, and I remember when that album was done, I just felt so proud of it. And it was funny because I said, you know, let's go and get this mastered properly. Let's go see Harris Newman, he of uh, Gray Market Mastering in Montreal, and there and one of the guys was like. Oh no, I'm just going to take it home and just put it in garage band. I'm like, the hell you are. No. <laughs> I just, no, 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 no. I didn't just spend two and a half, three weeks put it making this thing sound great for you to run it through the shit filters of of garage band. And not to diss garage band, but if you're not a mastering engineer, don't do it, you know? Yeah. Like you don't you don't represent yourself in court. You don't you don't fix your own car unless you're a mechanic. You and know, don't master your own album. You don't. No. You don't buy the Time Life Home series of of self surgery. You know, like you don't do that. So we went, and it was it was a learning experience for them because I kept telling when I told Harris about you know we were talking bring the project in and I said make it make it so that they can actually hear the difference from what you're doing and what it sounds like on its own because I said they yeah, were very ABA. happy they yeah. they want they were very happy with with how it sounded originally. He's like okay, so we do some stuff. You know, and the guy's like, I don't really hear it. And Harris said, hit the button in the middle there. Hit the button, boom. Whoa. Like, it doesn't sound that good now. And he's like, yeah, that's the original mix. Yeah. So they were listening to Harris cumulatively make things sound a little bit better and a little bit better and a little more polish and a little more, you know, a little rounder bottom end and a little this and a little that. But no, I think it's about being prepared yeah. in the studio. Learn your parts. Go in and nail it, man. I mean, we could even talk about our acid test experience in uh, yeah. Toronto in what, 2015? We uh, we're <laughs> running out of time here a bit, Tim, but okay. Uh, uh, okay. let's save acid test for another day because I'll be honest, for us, that's probably at least one, if not two podcasts worth <laughs> of material. <laughs> fair <laughs> so, enough. Fair enough. Fair um, enough. Fair enough. Dude. Um, it's been really great talking to you. I'm looking forward to talking again. Uh, again, I just want to put this out there for anyone who would like to have their music heard somewhere, anywhere, hit us up, please send it to us. MP3. We'd love to hear it. We'd love to hear it. Tim. I'm going to sign off, man. All right. You take care, Adam. 
Audible Brutality is presented by Adam Percy and Tim Vandeven and recorded remotely on Denman Island, British Columbia and in St. Jerome, Quebec. Music submissions or general inquiries can be made through our website at audiblebrutality.com. Give us a like on Facebook or Instagram. And of course, if you haven't yet, subscribe to the Audible Brutality podcast on iTunes or Spotify. Thanks for listening.